Let's read this text one more time before we pray. On that day when evening came, he said to them, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? How is it that you have no faith? And they became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Father, when we consider all of the, the stories of Jesus, they all, every one of them, each one of them, teach us something very spectacular for our minds to grapple with about uh, the, the nature of, of Jesus and what in every word and every action He teaches us, not only about Himself and about, about life with You and how to live, but He also teaches us about ourselves. And so as we, we approach this story, Father, uh, we're asking You in the name of Jesus to give us the eyes that are able to see and the, the ears that are able to hear it in such a way that it, it, it goes through our hearts and minds in, in, in such a way that we are completely moved by it and changed. And we ask this, Father, as a, a blessing for our study tonight. In Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, over the years, uh, Mark chapter 4, verses uh, 35 through 41, has been one of my favorite stories just because of you know, the greatness of, of the miracle and, and having been out on the Sea of Galilee, not during a storm, of course, but having been out on the Sea of Galilee and kind of stood on a boat and looked around and seen the shorelines and you know, figuring where things might have been as you're out in the middle of that sea. You know, having been there, uh, some of these stories just kind of lift out of the pages for me. But more than anything else, uh, this is a story about the power of God. And there uh, are, are just a couple of points that I, I want to make about God's power through Jesus uh, that we find in this story. And, and the first one is that Jesus' power in this story is a real-world, real-time power. Look at, look at all of the details that are packed into this text. Uh, you'll notice that uh, you know, there's, a, there's a time given. It's when the evening came. There uh, uh, are all of these boats that all around. Look, look over here at verse 36. Right in the very middle of that verse, it says that they, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. Now, I, you know, what in the world does that mean? What, you, know, you go back to the beginning of the chapter and Jesus is in a, a boat and He's already out in the water and He's teaching these parables. And so what it seems to be is that Jesus is out in the water, there are all these boats around and the evening comes and Jesus goes from one boat to another boat just as He was. And the, the thing that is ironic about all of these details in this story is that they add nothing. They do not tell us a single thing, really about anything important in these stories. 
And so we think about it for a minute. Why in the world are all of these details in there? Why is, why is Mark trying to pack all of these, these, these details and all these what seem to be insignificant facts about this event into this story? And then it dawns on you. And this is exactly what we do when we have memories of something. I mean, think about, uh, about some of your most vivid memories. There are so many things that you can see in that room or see in the car or see out in the, 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 the country or out in the city as you were traveling or in the airplane. The first time that you ate in a restaurant, you can remember vividly what the silverware looked like and the color of the seat pads that you were sitting in. And all of these vivid details, they really have nothing to do with the importance of a story except they're your memories. So you say, well, what in the world does that tell us about anything? They're, okay, they're, 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 they're Peter's memories as he's talking to John Mark. Well, it's a little bit more than that. What's happening here is that as these memories are, are coming up and, and Peter, through the inspiration of the Spirit, is telling these stories to John Mark and to others, what he's doing is witnessing or, or reporting what he saw as an eyewitness. Now again, you know, why is it important to say that? Why is it important to establish that? Well, the reason is, is that maybe not so much in San Antonio as you will find in other cities around the United States, but, but mainly in our culture, most people believe that these stories are not true. That these stories are, are legends. But here's the thing about that. A fellow by the name, one of these, these uh, Bible scholars uh, that, that really goes into reading all these ancient manuscripts, a fellow by the name of Richard Bachman says, you know, this is not the way that legends were written during the time of Jesus 2,000 years ago. That in no way is this following any kind of form of the regular legend writing during the time uh, that Jesus was living. And so to say that this is a legend is to, to say that as John Mark is writing all of this stuff down, he has this epiphany that says, this is the way that they're going to write legends 2,000 years from now. Nobody else in the world is doing it, but he jumps 2,000 years ahead, writes a legend the way that we would do it today, and then goes back into his own culture. The problem is, is that's a little nonsensical. It, 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 it's not a legend because these are not how the legends were written in this time. And another reason that maybe it's important to say some of this up front is uh, as, as we kind of speed towards Easter is that we're going to see a lot of things on television, uh, a lot of things in magazines, a lot of things on the radio, a lot of we'll, we'll, we'll see things in, in the newspaper, articles, op-eds, these kinds of things that are going to want to talk about the resurrection and the miracles of Jesus, whether these are legends or whether they are a fact. But the way that John Mark writes this is completely out of the realm of legend. He writes it as a memory. He writes it as an eyewitness account. He writes it as a fact. No one, no one wrote like this with these kinds of details. What Mark is trying to say is that these things really happened. The story of Jesus being out on the water and getting into another boat and the storm coming up and all of these things, these things really happened. This is not... You know, some kind of internal power or inspiration that comes because we've read something and it warms us up in our heart or it challenges us to think about life differently, but in the end, it never really happened. It's just a challenging story. That's not what Mark is writing. If Mark was writing that kind of a story, he would have completely written it differently. 
What Christ did in this story happened in real time. It, it, um, it, it, it's causing us, as we read this story, to have to deal with Him as He is, to choose to... Re- to, you know, to say that you know, we want to choose what we want to believe in the Gospels or, or in the Bible and we're going to reject all the other stuff is not to understand the way that the Bible was written in light of all of the other literature of that time. And the reason that we make, I make such a big deal out of this is that we first have to establish that what Mark is writing is something that really happened. There are details that just sort of flesh the story out. Peter is remembering in his mind as he talks decades later about this. And Mark is writing these details down. And the reason is, if these things did not happen, then it has no relevancy to me. I mean, it's just another story that may make me feel good, but in the living of life every day, there's no relevancy at all. And if this thing really didn't happen, and it's just make-believe, and it's just, you know, for the sake of argument, it is legend, then can we really trust Him? And so, you know, just kind of on the surface, we look at Mark chapter 4, and what we see is that this is a power that takes place in real time. But now we jump into the heart of the story, and what we see is that this is about infinite power. You know, the, the, the last question that we see in this text, in verse uh, um, 41, is the big question. Who is this? And the answer is someone with infinite power. I haven't, you know, gone to Israel, and, and many of you have, have been there as well, and you, you've 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 seen the same places that I've seen, and 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 you know, walked the same paths that I have. Some of you have seen the documentary. Some of you have been a part of Douglas's class where we've taken the tour of the the Holy Lands via the videos. What you re- may remember or not remember, but uh, I'll help you remember, is that the, the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. And you go 30 miles kind of to the north and to the east a little bit, and you've got you know, mountains that are 9,200 feet above sea level. And so within a 30-mile span, you've got a drop of about 10,000 feet. And so what happens is that over the Sea of Galilee, you have this clashing of cold air from the mountains, it's clashing with the warm air of the lake, and you have these inversions, and you have these incredible storms. Now, you know, in the, in the records that we have of life during the times of Jesus, and before that and after that, you know, nobody really fished out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. There were a couple of reasons for that. You know, the rabbis taught that, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but the rabbis taught that the sea was this un- un- uncontrollable power. And on top of that, they said, you know, the demons like the places where the water is deep. And the deeper the water, the more the demons. And so in terms of kind of the, some of the tradition of, of the Hebrews during this time from, from the, the writings of the Talmud and such, you know, nobody went out into the middle of the water. Everybody fished along the shores. These guys knew what an incredible storm could be like on the Sea of Galilee. There, there are records that talk about the waves, you know, they just, just calm seas, and then the inversion takes place, and all of a sudden you've got, you know, these five-foot waves that are, that are wrecking havoc on these boats. And so you have these, this incredible storm, and these are experienced seamen. These are guys who have made their living in the boat, most of them, at least. They know what the sea can do. They're, they're experienced uh, uh, sailors, and they, they, these guys think that they are going to die. They're bailing water as fast as they can. And they finally get to the point where they say, you know, we've got to wake him up. And so they wake him up. And, and notice 
what Jesus does not do. Jesus doesn't, you know, he doesn't pop up and he look around and, you know, he takes a stance and he rolls up his sleeves and pulls out a, a wand from someplace like he's Gandalf and he stands up and he speaks without the drama. And he says, be quiet and stay quiet. How many of you have said that to your kids? How many of you have said that to your dog? You know, this is simple words. Be quiet and stay quiet. This is what you say to a child. And so the first amazing thing kind of in this text is that this astonishing thing is what he says to the hurricane. Be quiet, stay quiet. Hush and stay still. And what's the second amazing thing? It does it. It does it. In fact, they go from having all of these tremendous waves, and I mean, these are experienced sailors, uh, seamen. They know, they know that their time is up if they don't get some help. And it goes from that kind of a storm and that kind of a crisis to perfectly still, dead calm. Now, I don't know how many of you have been to the coast when there's been, you know, uh, tropical storms or, uh, you know, maybe a mini hurricane and these kinds of things. You know, even when that hurricane is gone, even when it stopped raining, wind stopped blowing, what do the waves still do? They keep crashing in, don't they, for a couple of days. The astonishing thing here is that Christ speaks and it's all, it's, it's gone. This is an incomparable power. And like I said earlier, you know, the ancients thought that the sea was this uncontrollable power, that, that it was a place of destruction, that, that the sea was this dangerous thing and that you, had to, that you had to respect it and that no man could ever control it, only the gods could control it. And we've got this weird little story over in some of the pseudepigrapha uh, that was written in the time between Malachi and the time of Jesus during the time of the Maccabean revolt. And you've got this, 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 this uh, Syrian tyrant uh, the Seleucid by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. And he's a madman, and he's, and he's mad with power. And one of the things that he thinks is that he's a god. And that he, like a god, is going to be able to control the sea. And so he makes that statement one day. He says, I can control the sea. The sea obeys my bidding. It, it, it obeys my words. And over there in the ninth chapter of Second Maccabees. And the rabbis went ballistic. And the rabbis started arguing with him because the, the, the sea is a power that only God, controlling the sea is a power that only God has. And so they wake Jesus up in the middle of this storm and he doesn't get up with any of the drama. He gets up and he says, hush, be still, and it happens. And notice that Christ was not calling on any higher power. He wasn't trying to conjure up some higher power. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't praying to some, you know, the, some, some deity that everybody recognized or didn't recognize in order for this power to fall out of the heavens onto the planet and to calm the seas. Now let me ask you, church, why in the world does Mark give us a story this way, that, that, that Christ is not calling up any other power to calm the seas, which is what you would expect? It's because He is that higher power. He is that higher power. And, and this happens, remember, in, in, in real time. This is real, this, this happened. And so, who He is 
And, and what it means is, is, is one of the gigantic questions for us. Christ is who He said He is. And because that's, that's true, there's hope. But there's another thing that we want to say about this power. It's not just happening in real time, and it's not just happening uh, sort of a, a display of this infinite power that only God has, and it's shared by Christ, which tells us much about Him. But it's also this unmanageable power. Uh, look, look at the emotions of the apostles. This is, you know, it's kind of comical. I mean, they are scared to death and they are bailing like mad trying to get this water as it's filling up in the boat and they know they're going to sink and if it sinks they're going to die and they're scared to death. But then after the sea becomes perfectly calm, what's their emotional state? They're even more scared because this is an unmanageable power. They're bailing water but they're not making any headway. And they know that at any moment they're going to die. I mean, how many of us feel like at, at times, you know, we're in a dark place emotionally, it feels like we're bailing water, and if we don't get some help, we are going to die. The boat is sinking, everything's going down, we're being filled up, you know, the, the boat is being filled up with cold water, we can feel its chill, and God's not doing anything, and we wonder, has God forgotten me or is God just asleep? Is God just asleep? Well, these disciples wake him up. And, and, and basically, they're saying, why are you still sleeping? I mean, if you really care, Jesus, you, you, if, if you love us, you'll keep us from sinking. If you really love us, Jesus, we're not going to be able to, you know, we won't have to go through this deadly peril. And after he calms the sea, what does he say to these disciples? He doesn't say, wow, that was a close one. He doesn't say, you know, I know how you feel. He didn't say, you know, boy, uh, you know, I, I, not only do I know how you felt, but, that was, but we nearly all lost it there. What is it that he says to him? Why were you afraid? Why were you afraid? Yeah, I know it's a storm. Why were you afraid? I know the water was filling, the, the, the water was filling up the boat and you're bailing like mad. Why were you afraid? And they say to him, because we thought you didn't care. We thought because the boat was going down that you were asleep and that you didn't care, you didn't love us, that you were going to do anything. And what Jesus says to them is, your premise is all wrong. I do love you. But it doesn't mean that from time to time you're not going to be in that kind of a storm. Where's your faith? You should have known better. Where's your faith? You've seen enough to know who I really am. Why are you afraid? When you're with me, there's no need to panic. And they are as afraid of Christ as they actually more so than they were of that storm because He is this unmanageable power, a power that is greater than the sea. But that's the point. The sea doesn't love you. And neither does the storm. But Christ does. And that's why He calms it. And you know, you, we all deal with nature. I mean, you know, you, you, you live a few years and you get a few skin knees and that's just kind of a, you know, that's just kind of foreshadowing. That's just a forewarning of how tough life can be sometimes. 
And there are these tremendous losses that you go through and there are mistakes that you made because you didn't think correctly or you didn't have the right information or because you were just plain dumb and stupid. And you made a decision that you knew was, was not the right thing to do, but you did it anyway. And then on top of that, you just, you know, nature, you know, the older you get, joints begin to hurt and the memory begins to go and the hearing is lost and the eyesight dims and, and all of a sudden there are these diseases. If you live long enough, you're going to see just how violent nature is. And you're scared because nature is not under our control. And then we read a story like this and we realize that Christ is not under our control either. But He loves us. His unmanageable, infinite power works for our good. If you really know, you know, He's saying, if, if you really knew how much I loved you, you can be calm in this storm. And as we kind of work our way through the story, it begins to dawn us that really the only safe place at any time, but especially in the storm, is in the will of God. And, and think about it this way too. We, you know, we have in this story a resource that the disciples did not have. Mark, when you, when you read Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, what you begin to notice is that Mark is using the language that is incredibly close to that of Jonah. I mean, in both of these stories, we, we have a sea. In both of these stories, we have a boat. And in both of these stories, we, you know, we have a story that you know, the, the, the sea begins to storm up and the boat is nearly overtaken by the storm and the waves. And in both of these stories, you've got sleepers. In one story, you've got Jonah at the bottom of a boat. In the other story, in Mark chapter 4, you have Jesus asleep on a cushion at the back of the boat. And in both of these, these stories, you have sailors, men who know the sea. And, and they, they come to the sleeper and they say basically the same thing. Why in the world are you sleeping? Don't you know we're about to perish? And then in both stories we have this, this miraculous intervention of God. And in both stories you have the sailors being more scared, more afraid afterward when the sea is calm. The big difference is, is that in Jonah, he says to them, you know, if I die, then you guys get to live. If you throw me into the sea, it'll be calm. But is that really a, a very, is, is that really a difference? You know, in Matthew chapter 12, Christ says, I am the true Jonah. And he calms the, the storm and he saves the disciple, but he also says, that one day I'm going to calm all the storms. And then there's all of these Gospels writing about Jesus on the cross where He is thrown into the ultimate storm, where He is facing our sin. And He's facing death. And He's facing on the cross the only storm that can truly destroy us. And Christ enters into that storm and He faces all of those things on our behalf so that we don't have to. And if that's true, and it is, then why in the world would we ever think that He would sleep through any of the smaller storms that we face? We go to Christ and we say, you know what, Lord, it seems like you're sleeping on the job right now. When the other fact is even more true. 
when he was being uh, tossed to the ground and about to be tossed into this, this storm, who was it that fell asleep on him? Was it not us, his disciples? I think one of the most wonderful things about this story is how it kind of gives us a, 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 a vision of all of the things that Paul talks about over in Ephesians about that immeasurable, rich power that is available to us who believe. Where Paul says, I pray in chapter 3 that you will know in your mind and in your heart the power of the Spirit that strengthens us in the inner person. He talks about you know, the transformation that can take place in our own minds and hearts because we understand the power that is available to us not only in our own personal transformations, our own storms, but in every storm of every friend, every brother, every sister we've ever had. We don't sing this song very often, but it's a, it's a great song. Uh, written back in the, the 18th century, the song, the first verse goes, How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent word. What more can He say than to you He has said, you who unto Jesus for refuge have fled. The last verse says, The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to His foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never, you finish it, forsake. Jeff's going to lead us in a song right now, and maybe you haven't been living a life of faith that recognizes this kind of power in Jesus. And you've been living well under the standard, well under the the, 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 uh, the call of Jesus to the kind of discipleship that imitates Him and lives like Him in every aspect of life. And during the singing of the song, this is an opportunity for you to respond to have the prayers of the church strengthen you in this regard. Or it might be that you see for the first time in your life that you can trust Jesus. That if He has this kind of power, it's absolutely a more powerful strength of, of person and of, and of real power than you could ever possess between your two hands or conjure up between your two ears. And the time has come to stop trying to manage your own affairs and to give it and trust to Him to manage. And you're ready to confess that He is Lord. And you're ready to go in a different direction instead of going in a direction away from God towards Him in repentance. To have your sins washed away and to live this kind of life the rest of your life with this kind of power, knowing that you're not going to be saved from the storms, but knowing in full knowledge, this story teaches us, that just because you go through the storm doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love you. But what it does mean is that you're never, ever forsaken. Ever forsaken. And if there's a power and a wisdom like that, then there are reasons that maybe I would never understand until eternity of why He wants me to go through it. Except that maybe, as we talked about this morning, He wants me to see the inadequacies of, of, of the dross, of the, of the allegiances that I have riding and saddling up beside my trust in God in my own heart. It's time to stop. It's time to trust Him, to be the captain of your soul and, and, and the director of your life 
forever and ever. And if that describes you tonight, then we beg you to, to, to come, to come and to make that kind of commitment to Him publicly tonight as we stand and sing together.